We're on a new series for your notes. It's called The Five Gifts of Jesus. The Five Gifts of Jesus. Not to be confused with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about in another upcoming series. These are the five gifts of Jesus. Uh, theologians call it the fivefold ministry gift. And let me just open up and say that if you're one of those really, really deep Bible readers and you love all the theology behind it, I know all of the theology behind this passage we're going to read. I am intentionally making it very, very easy for everyone to understand. So don't write me an email, okay? I'm not preaching a Bible college class. I'm talking to young people, old people, new Christians, uh, mature Christians. So I do it intentionally. I make it very, very easy, okay? So Ephesians 4, verses 8 through 13, and this is talking about when Jesus leaves earth. So Jesus doesn't just leave earth and say, hey, y'all do what you want. He leaves earth with a plan. His plan is to build churches until he comes back again. And this is the start of the New Testament church. Now, there were types and shadows of churches before this, uh, synagogues with the Jewish people, the Hebrew. Uh, but this is when church was for everybody and anybody who wanted Jesus, okay? So here's what he does. Ephesians 4, 8, it says, uh, When he ascended on high, this is Jesus leaving earth, he gave gifts to his people. Everybody say gifts. Yeah. Okay, verse 11 through 13. His gifts, they were to people who were part of the church. His gifts were to the church. And let me just stop and tell you that uh, most of the New Testament was written to members of churches, not attendees, members. They had close, intimate relationships. They're referred to as brothers and sisters, not nieces and nephews and aunts and uncles. Brothers and sisters is a very intimate, intimate term. And in 1 Corinthians 12, we know they were members of the body. So he himself, Jesus himself, in case you're wondering, he himself appointed some people some people have these gifts as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers. Here's the purpose, to fully equip the saints. Everybody say, I'm a saint. For the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ, the church, until we all become a mature believer. So God, the human Jesus, he leaves earth and he leaves earth and he sends gifts. And, and he sends it to some people. He sends the pastor, prophet, teacher, evangelist, um, uh, apostle. But the purpose is for everybody that's part of church to be built up, okay? So let me start by saying this. Everyone in this room most likely owns a watch, whether you wear it or it's at home or you use your phone as a watch, whatever. But if Jesus himself, if he himself came to you and gave you a watch, even if it was a $5 Walmart watch, you would be so proud of that watch. You would wear it everywhere you went. You would tell people, Jesus gave me this watch. If somebody tried to talk bad about your watch, you'd say, whoa, 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 Jesus gave me this watch. If somebody said, well, I got a Rolex, you got a little $5 watch, you'd say, I don't care, Jesus gave me this watch. The watch could be broken. It could only tell time twice a day and not work. Do you get that joke at all? Does any I thought very long and hard about that. It could be a broken watch. You wouldn't care. You'd wear it because it was a gift from Jesus to you. So I'm going to say something. It's going to sound very self-serving, but I'm going to say it anyway. I am a gift from Jesus to you. And you can't return me and get your money back. Because you, you'd get back $5 is all you would get. It don't, I might not be a Rolex. I might not even be a Walmart watch but I'm a gift from Jesus to you. So here's the purpose, okay? You might not be one of the fivefold, but you can function and do what they're doing in the work of the ministry. In other words, uh, you might not have the gift of evangelism, but as a pastor, I can equip you on how to evangelize. 
You might not have the gift of a prophet, but as a pastor, I can equip you on how to prophesy. Because the Bible says we can all prophesy. You might not have the gift of a pastor, but as a pastor, I can equip you on how to shepherd the people that God has put in your life. Do you understand the purpose of this and what we're talking about? Okay, so today in part one, we're going to talk about the apostle. The apostle. Uh, apostle in Greek means sent one. The one sent with a vision or sent with a message. So let me make it very clear and very modern to you. Uh, apostles are called to plant and oversee ministries. They've been given a vision of a certain area of ministry or of a church, and they go and they plant that church. I planted Solid Rock. Nobody built it and then called me in to pastor. Uh, God gave me the vision for Solid Rock. When God gives you a vision, and he's going to give all of you today, I believe all of you are going to get a vision for some type of ministry in your life. You'll get a little seed of it at least today. By the end of the sermon, you'll all have a vision. So you can all do what an apostle can do. You're all called to be sent with a vision for a ministry that is going to help build the body of Christ, okay? Here's how God does it. He does it through your personality, through your soul. Um, the things that you love about this place came out of my personality. Uh, the reason we laugh a lot and cut up, even during the week, not just on Sundays, all through the week, <clears throat> in the school, everything goes on here, is because I love to laugh and cut up. The atmosphere of this place is transparent. It's, um, uh, we're not afraid to be honest or be emotional, and it's because that's part of my soul. Uh, in this place, we get things done quick. We're productive, right? 30-minute sermon, three points. That's because it's birthed out of my soul as the apostle of this place. Now, you can't say you love, I love that you get things done on Sunday morning, 30-minute sermon, three points, and then you want to have lunch with me and spend an hour with me? That's not going to happen. I'm the same person here as I am during the week. If you have lunch with me, you better be ready to get your three points in 30 minutes because after that, I'm leaving. I'm done. You say, I don't like that. I don't, no, no, no. You love it on Sunday morning. You better love it during the week as well. Okay, you're with me. So a lot of people think there were only 12 apostles in the Bible. So let me blow that out of the water. Luke 10:1 says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent. Everybody say sent. That is the Greek verb for the word apostle. You see, they were sent out. They were sent out with a message. They were sent out with a vision. Luke 9, 1 says this, Then he called his 12 disciples together, gave them power and authority over all demons. Then he sent them, that's the Greek word apostle, out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Verse 10, the apostles returned and told them all they had done. So here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the difference between being called and being sent. Everyone in this room has been called already. But the question is, are you equipped and ready to be sent? Uh, Abraham was called when he was 75 years old to be the father of many nations. He was not sent till he was 100 years old. Um, um, let me think of this. Um, let's see, who do I got on here? Moses. Moses was called when he was at birth. At birth, God called him to deliver God's people from the hand of the Egyptians. Here's the beautiful thing. At 40 years old, he was so arrogant, he thought he could deliver God's people from the Egyptians one Egyptian at a time. I'll kill him one at a time. One a day, and then two million days from now, we'll all be free and we'll be okay. When he was 80 years old, he said to God, I don't know how to do this. I can't do it alone. I can't even say what you're asking me to say. And God said, son, now you're ready to be sent. 40 years old, so arrogant, he could do it by himself. 80 years old, I can't do anything without you. And God said, okay, at 80, you're finally ready to be sent. Do you hear what I'm saying? So there's a difference. You, you, you know a lot, and the temptation, the temptation is once you realize you're called to be sent right away. 
That's the temptation, to do it in your flesh, to do it in your own strength like Abraham did. No, you got to be equipped with the three points I'm going to give you today. Now, let me make it a little bit more relational and personal to us before we get into our three points. On the screen, you'll see different areas of ministry uh, that I've helped to start as the apostle to cast a vision for these areas. Then we have great leaders that took that vision and they ran with it. Bruna for our hope ministry, Derek for our school, Trisha oversees the administration of the whole church, short groups, which is very, very important to me. Uh, Bernie with Sunday School, Linda with Discipleship, Kristen with Youth. If they start to vary outside of the vision, it's not going to accomplish what God wants it to accomplish, even if it seems wiser, it seems better. I am ultimately held responsible for, is this with the vision that God's given me? They can add a little bit to it. They can move it around here and there, and I give them freedom to do that. I give them freedom to fail, freedom to succeed, whatever. But if it goes outside of the vision, I have to get back in line and say, okay, we got to start going more in this direction. Do you understand? I put Pastors Matt and Melissa on there because they had the vision for Now Camp. That is not me. I was not the apostle for that. They were. They started that. They have the 150 kids all during the summer. God help them. Please, God, pray for them buy them some Jim Beam after church, whatever you got to do. But anyway, but I also put the Lehmans up here, and here's why. They have a ministry that has nothing to do with Solid Rock, but they followed through with the three points I'm going to give you today because God called them years ago, and they got sent after that. And let me tell you about it. I was at uh, Steve and Pam's house this past week, and uh, Pam was making some beautiful little piece of art, and I said, you know what? And I felt really special when I said this. I said, you know, the Lehmans, uh, they make stuff all the time. And they give it to me. And in my house, in every room in my house, there's something made by the Lehmans. And it's faith-filled. It's, it's, it's encouraging. One has my favorite scripture. One has my favorite hymn on it. Another one has a picture of Jesus here. Another one's humorous. That's something they made just for me. Uh, and I felt so special for eight seconds until Pam said, Oh, they do that for us too. That came from the Lehmans. 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 <laughs> and then I realized it occurred to me. They started a ministry. They build things and make things in their home and give it to people to encourage them with scriptures on there, with Bible stuff on there. They make angels and all these different things. They, that's, I didn't come up with that. God, didn't God would not tell me to get tools out and make something. That is not my personality. He wouldn't do that. He'd tell me to write a song but not to make something out of wood. That's them. That's Aaron. They, they, they apostled that. They have the vision for that. How dare any of us go to them and say, you know what, you're not doing this right. We think you should start making things this way. We think instead of using wood, you should start using cardboarders. No, no, no. God gave them the vision for that ministry. So do you understand the purpose of the apostle? And God want, God's already called all of you. He wants to send you with a vision that will build up the church. He wants to give you ideas. So we're going to focus on the Apostle Paul today because he was one of the great apostles in the Bible. Romans 1.1, Acts 9.15. Uh, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be and What's that word? <laughs> Apostle. Acts 9.15, the Lord said, This man is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name. Okay, listen. He was called, you might want to write this down, in 34 A.D. But he wasn't sent until 48 A.D. 14 years it took this incredible man of God who wrote over half the New Testament from the time he was called to the time he was sent. So don't get discouraged if you don't feel like it's time to be sent. You're in the preparation stage and you'll be there for the rest of your life even after you're sent. You're still growing and you're still being equipped. Do you understand? Okay, so three points for you today. They all have to do with the Apostle Paul. Point number one for your notes is this. 
You need a relationship with the church. A relationship with the church. When you see those yo-yos online who call themselves apostles and prophets and all this kind of thing, and there's no people there, and they're just sitting in their room always talking to a camera, um, they're kind of sending themselves. I heard John Maxwell say this, if you think you're a leader and you look behind you and nobody's following you, you're not a leader. You're just calling yourself one. Uh, in Acts 9.26, it says this, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. They were all afraid. They didn't believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas, who we'll talk about next week because he is the son of encouragement, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and described how Saul, whose name was changed to Paul, of course, had seen the Lord. So Saul, Paul, was with them in that church in Jerusalem, and the church enjoyed peace being built up and continued to grow. Paul, the preeminent apostle of the Bible, of the New Testament, stayed in a local church for 14 years, the same church, after he was called until the day he was sent. Even Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, Luke 4, 16, Jesus entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. It was a habit for <laughs> the body of Christ. Jesus was the church. It, in, in habit, he went to church. Now, if there was anybody you'd think, well, he don't need to go to church, it'd be Jesus. And he went to church. Luke 2.52, he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And listen, Jesus didn't go into ministry until he was 30 years old. He was called before the foundation of the universe, yet he was not sent until he was 30 years old. That tells me all of us have growing to do in our life. Amen. So I'm going to show you the world's way of, um, of, of putting somebody in a position and sending them out versus the church's way, okay? The world's way is up on the screen, and here's how the world does it. The world reads your resume, and they say, you know what? You're hired, and we will put you in a position of authority today. Then the world that hires you, they hope, they hope that you'll be able to handle the responsibility that they give you. After time, they hope to see if you're faithful and if you'll stay at that job year after year after year. And then one day, maybe around Christmas, they'll actually get to know you, have a relationship with you, get to know your family and what you're all about. That's the world's way. Do you see that? Do you agree that that's how the world does it? Okay, the church does it the exact opposite. Flip it. Put it on the screen. Here's the church's way. First, we want to get to know you. We want a relationship with you. Actually, that's why we have pizza with the pastor, because we want to see what level of weird you are. Are you like, you know, Pastor Matt weird, or are you like, like, we want to know. Like, we love weird people. We just want to know. So at Pizza, the pastor will say, stand up and tell us something you love about the church. If you stand up and say, well, let me tell you about how horrible my old church was. I hated that pastor. They didn't do anything I wanted to do. We stayed there for five miserable years. Here's what I'm thinking. Uh, red flag, red flag, red flag. We want to keep building that relationship till we go to level two. You know, we don't want you joining quite yet, right? So we get to know you. Then if you're faithful in church, we want you to join our church family. I want to be your pastor. Then we want to give you a little bit of responsibility and see how well you serve. Do you show up when you say you're going to be there? Do you have a good attitude? Do you keep your commitments? On and on, right? We want to see if you're willing to serve, give, forgive. And then finally, after all that, then we'll put you in a position and give you some authority. 
and then you can handle having influence. Do you see how that's completely different than what the world tells us we need to do? Fulfilling God's plan for your life being sent, it involves having an intimate relationship with the people in your church. And you cannot hide in this church. I don't care if your gift is that you are the most brilliant mind in the world or all you can do is bring water bottles. We're going to find something for you to do. You cannot hide in the shadows in this church. We want a relationship with you, and we want to help you grow. I told you last week in the announcements that a couple, they actually are part of our second service, members of the church, uh, they gave $20,000 so that a young girl that attends church here uh, could go to our Christian academy uh, for the rest of her school life. Uh, when they approached me about that, I said, I didn't know you knew that little girl. They said, we really don't. We just see her around. I said, I didn't know that you knew that she was considering leaving public school and coming to our academy. They said, we didn't know. I said, do you know their parents? Uh, they said, no, we don't know the parents. I said, did you know the parents were going to need a scholarship for their child if their child decided to go? They said, no, we didn't know any of that. I said, well, why'd you do this? They said, we just love our church. We did, God just put it on our heart. <clears throat> I said, tell me, tell me, what's the reason? That you, now, here's the thing. I looked up what $20,000 could do if you don't give it away. You know, we can actually send two people to Hawaii for a 10-day va paid vacation. Ten days in Hawaii, they gave up for this little girl to be able to go to school whom they don't even know. Here's what they told me, though. They said this. They said, we have a young daughter. Uh, she's a young adult. She's graduated high school. And they said she wants nothing to do with the things of God. They said in large part it's because of the school she went to growing up. It completely steered her in the wrong direction. It was a horrible public school, the worst friends you could imagine, the worst atmosphere, and now she doesn't want anything to do with the Lord. And they said this, we were unable to help our little girl, so we thought instead we'd help somebody else's little girl as a seed. You don't do things like that unless you really, really love your church family. And let me actually tell you a little bit more. They actually gave $70,000 last week and asked me if $20,000 would go toward getting her a scholarship. And you're thinking this, they must be one of those really rich families. No, they're not. They actually got a business deal that they've been working on for over a decade, and it came through, and they tithed on the gross of it. Here's what I want you to see. The more money you have, the harder it is to give. So that's what a big miracle is. The Bible says the more money you have, the more temptation to steal your heart away from Jesus. The national average, if you make 52000 or less, do you know the national average for Christian Americans making $52,000 or less, they give between 10 and 15%. The national average for people who make over $100,000 a year is 3%. You say, well, I thought if you have more money, you'd be given more. No, the Bible says the more money you have, the harder it is for you to give that's why it's such a miracle that they gave $70,000 that they didn't have to give, and they gave it because they love the people in this room. They're not super spiritual. They're not super rich. They just love their church. John 21, 17, Jesus said, if you love me, here's what you'll do. You'll feed my sheep. A lot of people say, you know what? God, your face is beautiful. Your body is hideous. I don't want nothing to do with your body. But if you love Jesus, you love the body of Christ, the church, because they're one and the same. Okay? Point number two for your notes is this, stewardship in the church. You've got to be a good steward. Here's the Apostle Paul, Acts 11, 29. The disciples decided to send a contribution to the believers in Judea. They entrusted their gifts, right? He's been a part of the church. He's a member of the church. Now let's see if we can trust him in the most important area. They entrusted Barnabas and Saul to take the gift to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. The first task entrusted by the church to this great apostle 
was not to preach a sermon on Sunday morning. It was not to oversee an area of ministry. It was not to lead 30 people to Jesus. The first task they gave him was, hey, we need you to carry this bag from this city to the next city. We need to see if you can be faithful with the little things. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5, Naaman was this rich uh, captain of an army, but he got a disease called leprosy. He was dying. But he traveled a long way, and he found the prophet Elisha. He asked Elisha to heal him, and God used Elisha to heal the leprosy on his skin. So in verse 16, Naaman said, listen, I want you to take a gift from me. But Elisha said, no, no, I don't, I don't need that. No big deal. Just go on your way. Elisha had a servant named Gehazi. In verse 20, he said to himself, that real quick, I just want you to realize, the Bible says he said to himself, he didn't say it out loud. And you know the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures. So keep in mind, God heard what he said to himself. He didn't even say it out loud. God heard what he was thinking. He said to himself, my master should have taken a gift from Naaman. Now I'm going to run after him, and I'm going to take something from him. So he ran up to him, he found him, and in verse 22, he flat out lied. He said, uh, I know you said you were going to give us some money. Listen, my master actually said he would like some money from you. He wants 3,000 pieces of silver and some fine clothes. Man, Naaman hit the jackpot. He got what he wanted easy. Turned around, he ran back home. When he gets home in verse 25, Elisha said, Where have you been? Gehazi said, I just went to McDonald's and back. I hadn't done it. I, was just, I just went for a walk around the block. No big deal. Have you ever noticed how one little lie turns into one bigger lie, turns into one huge lie, and it keeps on going? In verse 26, Elisha said, Wasn't my spirit with you? Do you think I don't know what you did behind closed doors? Because of what you've done, Naaman's leprosy will now be on you. So two things I want you to see. One is this. God sees every website you look at. God sees how much money you really do make versus how much money you really do tithe. God sees how you treat your loved ones behind closed doors. God hears everything you think. Here's the second thing I want to tell you. God won't take us where our character won't keep us. This is why we all need to grow constantly. He will not take us where our character cannot keep us. So, very rarely in the Bible do we get to see what someone was supposed to accomplish but didn't get to accomplish. We see that in the life of Gehazi. You know, Gehazi was the servant for Elisha. Elisha was the servant for Elijah. Because Elisha was faithful, he got a double anointing from what Elijah got. Do you know Gehazi's destiny, his calling, was to have a quadruple anointing of Elijah? If you look in the Bible, Elijah did seven major miracles. I'm talking like raising people from the dead. Elisha, 14 major miracles. Gehazi was supposed to be used by God to do 28 major miracles. But his character could not sustain his calling. The thing God called him to do could not be sustained by what was going on in his heart. Hebrews 13, 5 says, let your character be free from the love of money. Not free from money. It's okay to have money. It's okay to have a lot of money. It's not okay for the money to have you. Think this. Well, how do I know if I love money or not? Well, let me ask you, which one do you obey, money or God? If you can't do with the money what God says do with it, then you're serving something else. And the Bible says you cannot serve both money and God. Um, I heard about this lady that she went to a, a butcher to buy a chicken. 
And uh, she said, you know, I'd like to get a chicken from you. And the butcher only had one chicken left, so he pulled it out from under the counter and put it up there and sat on the scale. The lady thought about it and said, you know, I think I want a bigger chicken than that. A little bit weighs more. So he put it back underneath the counter, pretended like to get another chicken, even though it was the last one he had. He pulls it back out, puts it back on the scale, but this time he very cleverly leaves his thumb on the scale to make it weigh more. The lady thought about it for a second. She said, you know what, I can't decide. Just give me both of them. Be sure your sins will find you out, right? Point number three is this, the leadership of the church. In Acts 13, verse 2, it says, In the church there were prophets and teachers. There were leaders in the church. As they worshiped the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Having fasted and prayed, they, the leadership, laid hands on them and sent them. There's the word apostle in Greek, the, the verb sent them on their first journey. So being sent out by the, well, hold on. It said the leaders of the church sent them out. But the very next scripture says they were sent out by the Holy Spirit and went down to Seleucia. So Paul was called. 14 years later, the leadership of the church said you're ready to go. And the Bible says, but the Holy Spirit said it was time for him to be sent out. God uses human authority as our direction from the Holy Spirit. All you teenagers in here who hate your parents, listen real close. Your parents are the apostle of your home. They hold the vision for that home. You do not hold the vision for that home. If the vision for that home is that everybody has a job, then you better get a job. If the vision for that home is that you take off your shoes when you walk in the front door, you better take off your shoes when you walk in the front door. You cannot go to that authority in your house and say, you know what, God told me something different than the vision that you've set. The parents are the vision for the house. Amen. Your children are not the apostles. And if they're not handling the vision, you take their cell phone, you spank them, you do whatever you got to do. If your vision is we're all going to church, everybody better be in church. Because they hold the vision. They are the authority. They're the leadership. You know, Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus was a carpenter until he was 30 years old, right? This past week, you know, every week I take a little bit of time where I, I'll read a scripture and then I'll just, um, I'll visualize it. I'll see it in my head like a Steven Spielberg movie, you know. This week I, I was in the shower and I was just visualizing some, and man, I, tears were pouring down my face. I could see Jesus in his 20s. And he's a carpenter, so he's got big old biceps, right? He's got, a, he's got a tank top on. He's covered in sawdust. His hair keeps getting in the way whenever he's trying to cut something. You know, he's putting his hair back. And I see Jesus here in a knock on his door, and he goes to the door, and somebody commissions him. They give him a little tag. They say, we need you to make a set of crutches. And I see Jesus building these crutches and having this thought, Father, I could heal this person. I don't need to make them crutches. Let me go lay my hands on their leg, and it'll be healed. And then he thinks, but Dad, I know you said it's not my time yet. So he goes back working on the crutches. A few months later, he gets commissioned to build a casket. Not a six-and-a-half-foot-long casket. No, no, no. A three-foot-long casket. He can hear the parents grieving a hundred yards away. They're screaming and crying over what happened to their little boy. Jesus says, God, that's it. It's my time. I can do this. All I got to do is go out there and say a word, and all their sorrow will end. Just a word. 
the boy will rise from the dead. I'm ready. I know I'm ready. I've been in church my whole life. I know I'm called. I know it's my time. And God says, son, it's not your time yet. But dad, I've been studying. I know what to do. Just say the word. Just say the word. Son, calm down. It's not your time yet. We know that Jesus learned to submit to authority because when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's sweating great drops of blood, he did not feel like going to the cross. I don't know what your Bible reads. Mine says in great agony, sweating drops of blood. He didn't feel. Everybody say feel. But thank the Lord, Jesus doesn't do what he feels. He does what faith says to do. He didn't feel like going to the cross. And we know because he said, Father, is there any other way yet not my will? Not what I want, but what you want. And he went to there. Thank God he learned how to submit to the leadership in his life. Jesus had to submit to human authority. Okay, let me make it a little bit lighthearted for you. Remember the, the first miracle, the water to wine miracle? In John 2, 3, when Jesus was, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mom said to him, Son, we have no more wine. Jesus said, What do you want me to do about it? It's not my time. Now, I love this. I can picture God the Father saying, uh, Mary, it's not his time. I can picture Mary saying, but I'm his mom. And God saying, you know what? You are his mom. You are his mom. She doesn't even look at her son. She looks at the servants and says, do whatever he tells you to do. Then I picture her looking at Jesus and saying, huh, and then walking away. You got to listen to your mama, right? It's not my time, but my, I'm your mom. I say it's your time. Turn this water into wine. And you know what he did? He turned the water into wine because he submitted to his authority. Hebrews 13, 17 by the way, if you ever want to get a tattoo of a scripture, I recommend this one. <clears throat> Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, for they are constantly keeping watch over your souls, as they will have to give an account. Let them do this with... I just want to make sure we're all seeing the same thing. I can read this to you in Spanish, Portuguese, and Greek if you need me to, okay? Let them do this with joy and not grief. Now, spiritual leaders does not mean they're smarter than you. It doesn't mean they're more experienced. It doesn't mean they're more mature. It means they're humans that are fallible, have problems, but God appointed them and put them in a position and gave them a gift. That's all it means. That's all it means. So if you're looking for somebody that's smarter, more spiritual, experienced, go look at another church, okay? Maybe you'll find them there. All I know is God gave me a gift, and I can do the best I can. That's all I know. For 14 years before I started pastoring, I worked in other churches. Even after I started pastoring, I had to work in other churches because I couldn't afford to, you know, just pastor. I had to have other jobs. I did a Baptist church on Sunday morning, an Episcopal church on Sunday afternoon, uh, Church of God on Sunday night, uh, United Methodist in Myrtle Beach on Monday night, Methodist in Pauley's Island on Tuesday nights, uh, Church of God Wednesday nights, Charismatic Bible College on Thursday nights, and Catholic Church on Saturdays and weddings on the weekend. I didn't know whether to say the Hail Mary or speak in tongues. From one night to the next, it was very good. And if you get it wrong, you're going to get in trouble. <clears throat> but anyway, and so one church to the next. And in all those churches, I'm going to say something that's going to sound very arrogant, but it's truth. In every single church I served in, I knew more about music than every single pastor that was over me. Of course I did. It was my life. That's what they hired me to do was the music, to raise up choirs, to build teams, all this kind of I knew more than music about every one of them. But I didn't hold the vision for the church. So when they said, hey, we want to do this song, and I said, that's not really a good song at this place. They said, that's what I want to do. I say, yes, sir. When they say one church, they wanted an hour of praise and worship. 
I'm sure you can guess which denomination that was, an hour of praise and worship before the pastor. I said, Pastor, that means it's going to be a two-hour practice. These singers, they can't sing for three hours straight. He said, that's what I want. I said, yes, sir, we're going to do it. One time, one of the pastors told me, he said, listen, we're not going to have service tonight. It's going to be a big worship service. I want three hours of praise and worship. After two hours of playing the piano, um, this was an old, old grand piano, and some of the keys were chipped on the right side. I looked down as I was playing, and it looked like half the piano was covered in red paint. I realized my fingers were bleeding, and blood was getting all over the piano. And yes, I did just tell a story about how I got hurt not playing football or using a Sawzall. I was playing the piano, okay? That's how masculine I am. I can get hurt playing a piano. And I thought, you know what, if there was ever a time I should end the service, close the worship out, it would be right now. And I looked on the front row, and the pastor of the church had his hand in his ear, tears flowing down his face. He was singing at the top of his lungs. And I thought, he asked for three hours, I'm going to do three hours. Because he's the apostle. He's the one that holds it. He was the leadership. How dare I try to steer it in any other direction? And yes, I knew more. Yes, I was more experienced. But I wasn't called in that position. He was. In Genesis 16, 4, it says, When Abram and Sarah wanted a child, they couldn't conceive. So she said, Abram, sleep with the maid. And he didn't disagree. In verse 4, it says, When Hagar found out she was pregnant, she became proud and was hateful to her authority. Sarah. When Sarah dealt, not graciously, not kindly, when the authority was harsh, rude, mean to Hagar, humbling her, Hagar ran away. The reason most people never go from being called to being sent, that the biggest reason is because they run away from the authority God's put in their life when they disagree, when they think they have a better way, when they feel like God's speaking to them over the authority. And Hagar ran away. And here's the interesting thing. God didn't deal with Sarai, who was harsh. You know what he said to Hagar in verse 9? The angel said, go back and humbly submit to her. But God, she treated me wrong. I don't care. She's the authority. Go back. God, I don't like what she did. I don't care. Go back. Do you know she went back, and then at one point years later, uh, God finally released her from that position in that place, and he blessed her tremendously and her son for the rest of her life. And here's the whole purpose of today's sermon is this. It's calling versus comfort. I'm here to tell you that, yes, God has a call on your life. If you're ever going to be used as an apostle to start something that will build up the body of Christ, an idea, an area of ministry, sometimes during the development of that, you're going to have to put aside your comfort for the calling. It's not about being comfortable. It's about fulfilling the call. So let me close with a story and then we'll go. Um, in Switzerland, there are these mountains that can be climbed by the average person. It just takes an entire day to do it. It's uh, one day up and then you camp out and this one day back down. Uh, by noon, after you've been walking for five hours or so, you get to something called the halfway house. At this particular mountain, this particular business, when you get to the halfway house, the lunch is already ready for you on the table. They're expecting you. <clears throat> There's fire in the fireplace. There's these cozy chairs and these couches to relax on. They have games for you to play, chess, checkers. Everyone's laughing. They're relaxing. After about 60 minutes, the instructor says, okay, everybody, use the bathroom, put your gear on, 
we're heading out for another five-hour hike to the top of the mountain. The interesting thing is at this particular mountain, every single weekend the owners say half the people decide to stay in the halfway house. They like the comfort of the fire, the food. They settle for reaching halfway up the mountain. The funny thing is, he says, at about 5 p.m., without anybody saying a word, everyone in the halfway house gravitates very slowly toward the big window where you can see the entire mountain. They look at their friends at the very top, setting up tents, taking pictures, all of them just excited. In the halfway house, it's very quiet. It's very somber because everybody there realizes in that moment they made a mistake. They sold their mission for a little bit of comfort. The next morning, the friends are coming down the mountain. They're laughing, talking about what they saw, how they had to join hands at one point and pull each other up. They show the group picture with the flag at the top of the mountain. The people who remain behind, they don't say much. After lunch, they all go back down together. Those who paid the price and went to the very top, they greet their family, they show them pictures. Those who didn't make it to the top remain quiet as they leave and go home, knowing they never made it to their destination, all because they let being comfortable stop fulfilling the call. Romans 5.4 says endurance, perseverance, never quit attitude develops maturity of character and integrity. So my encouragement to you is this. Don't stop loving your church. Be a good steward of what God's already given you so he can trust you with more and honor the leadership God's put in your life. And I promise, just like the Apostle Paul, you will go from being called to being sent. Amen? Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Today, I want to pray for everybody that wants a vision of what God wants to send you to do. So if you are here today, and you know there's a call on your life, but you're not quite sure what God wants to send you to do, I want to pray for you to have the perseverance and the never-quit attitude to remain faithful to give it your all so you can reach the top of your mountain, okay? So on the count of three, everybody that wants a vision for their sending out, can you lift your hands? One, two, three. Okay, Lord, I thank you for everyone in this room who had the faith to say there is no calling without Jesus speaking to us. There's no being sent without the Holy Spirit directing. So, Lord, right now I ask that you begin to give them a vision, a taste, a seed of what you want them to do a new area of ministry, a new vision for their home, a new direction for their life. It, it may be something awkward, weird. They don't understand it, but it's a seed. It's a picture. Lord, give them the faith to step out, to step out one day at a time, one step at a time, closer and closer to being sent out by you. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness in this room. We thank you for the never-say-die attitude. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement in this room that flows through the heart of Solid Rock, the joy. 
Lord, we thank you for the apostles in this room right now who you've called to do new and exciting things, things that will build and edify the church, things that will grow the kingdom of God on earth. We're not just here taking up space. We're not just here breathing the oxygen. No, we've been called. We've been called to climb the mountain. We've been called to go to the very top. So, Lord, right now, I ask that you begin to send them out. Send them out. Send them out. Send them out with the idea for, for birthday cards filled with Scripture. Send them out with new songs in their heart. Send them out with ways to help the homeless. Send them out for ways to minister to orphans. Send them out with new book ideas. Literature, curriculum. Send them out with social media ideas that win people to Jesus. Send them out for new ways for their children to grow closer to you. Send them out for ways to minister to people who are sick, who are in the hospital. Send them out with ways to restore those that have fallen, that have made mistakes, that feel guilty. Send them out, Lord, with ways to help people understand the Word, the Bible. Send them out, Lord. Send them out. Speak to their heart. Ways to help those people who are in need. Ways to win lost souls to you. New and exciting ways. Unheard of ways. Never been seen before. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the apostle. And Lord, we thank you for keeping us steady and on the solid rock until the sending occurs. We ask these things in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen, Amen. amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's bless somebody.